Well, as they're finding their seats, why don't we open our Bibles to the book of Acts. We are uh, going to finish off Acts chapter 7 this morning. Um, we're going to look at verses 54 and go all the way up into chapter 8, verse 1, the first part of verse 1. Um, so let's, let's read this. Uh, Acts chapter 7, starting in verse 54. Now when they heard these things, they were enraged, and they ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God, and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened, and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice, and stopped their ears, and rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. And Saul approved of his execution. Now sends our reading of God's victorious word. May all who hear it find that the heavens have been opened for them. One of the great leaders of the, the Scottish Reformation was a man named George Wishart. He was a man who trained at Cambridge, so he was a highly educated man with, with much to lose. And yet he was gripped by the gospel of Jesus Christ and suffered greatly for it. Having been kicked out of all the, the churches in Scotland, he began preaching in the fields. And masses of people would come to him to hear the good news of salvation. And it was through his ministry that, that many came to a saving faith in Jesus Christ. And yet one night, the, the Earl of Bothwell captured this, this man of God, imprisoned him in the Tower of St. Andrews. And it was there that he was tried, found guilty of heresy, and then sentenced to both be hanged and burned. Well, when that dreaded day finally arrived and they took him to the place of his execution, it, it said that George Wisher knelt down and prayed to his God. And when he arose, he addressed his onlookers by saying this, If I had taught men's doctrine, I had gotten greater thanks by men. But for the true evangel, which was given to me by the grace of God, I suffer this day by men, not sorrowfully, but with a glad heart and mind. This grim fire I fear not. And so I pray you to do, if any persecution come unto you for the word's sake, and not to fear them that slay the body and afterwards have no power to slay the soul. I know surely that my soul shall sup with my Savior this night, ere it be six hours for whom I suffer this. Wisher then knelt down and prayed again, this time for those who had persecuted and slandered him. And this was his prayer. I forgive them with all my heart. 
And then lastly, before he went to his death, he spoke to the people, to the crowds once again. He said, I beseech you, brethren and sisters, to exhort your prelates, which means bishops, to the learning of God, the word of God, that they may be ashamed to do evil and learn to do good. The, the words of this condemned man caused his executioner to pause. This, this hangman then fell to his knees and begged George Wishart for his forgiveness. It, it said that Wishart then kissed this man on the cheek and said to him, Lo, here is a token that I forgive thee. My heart do thine office. For the past few weeks, we've been looking at the life of another man, a man named Stephen. Stephen was a Hellenist, a Jew who was born and raised outside of Israel. And he was one of the seven whom the apostles appointed to take care of the widows within the church by making sure that they were all well fed. And yet he was more than just a distributor of food, for he was a mighty evangelist as well. He, he would go into the synagogues and speak to other Hellenists and proclaim the name of Jesus to them in order that they might be saved. And he was so effective as an evangelist that Luke tells us that those who disputed with him, they, they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. And so in an effort to, to, to stop this man, they resorted to, to force instead. They they formed a mob and they, and they grabbed him and dragged him before the Sanhedrin, the, the Jewish high court. It was there that they brought forth these trumped up charges claiming that he was speaking against both the temple and the law of God. And then, and then it was just last Sunday that we saw that this Stephen, this, this man who is described as having the face of an angel, we, we heard his defense, Right? And if you remember, it was in that defense where, where he recounted much of the history of Israel, showing that time and time again, the people of God had rejected God's chosen saviors due to their jealousy, due to their ignorance, and due to their idolatrous hearts. And Stephen demonstrated as well that God is too great to be contained within the walls of any man-made temple. And because Jesus had now died on the cross, paying the penalty for our sins, there was no longer any need for the temple. And thus, God's presence had, had moved, right? Everything that we now need can be found in Jesus Christ. And so, Stephen, he had biblically proven to this council that, that it was not him who, who was against the law or the temple, but it was them. They were the ones who were guilty of these crimes. For they had resisted the Holy Spirit and crucified God's righteous one, Jesus Christ. And they had done so out of jealousy. They had done so out of ignorance. They had done so out of idolatry. And they had done so because they could not see past the four walls of their man-made temple. They did not realize that God's presence was no longer there that he could no longer be found in the Holy of Holies. 
that in order to find God, they would now have to look to this one whom they crucified, to the resurrected Jesus, this one who has now ascended into the heavens and was sitting at the right hand of his Father. All this leads us to today, where we'll not only see the the reaction of these religious leaders, but we'll also see the heavens being opened, opened for this Stephen as he will receive a vision of his glorified king. Let's take a look at our first verse and see how this plays out. Look Look at verse 54. Now when they heard these things, they were enraged, and they ground their teeth at him. They were enraged, and they ground their teeth at him. You've got to be pretty angry to be grinding your teeth. You see, what what Luke is describing here is, is a picture of pure ferocity. The saying that they ground their teeth at him is is meant to produce images within our heads of of savage beasts, right? Beasts such as wolves and lions, predators who who strike fear into their prey by laying bare their massive fangs. This is how angry these men were. They were ready to attack. They were ready to clamp down their jaws. And the reason they were so enraged was because deep down they knew that Stephen was right. That they had murdered God's chosen Messiah. And thus they were guilty of rejecting God himself. And yet instead of repenting, they grew angry. This is often the way of those who are riddled with guilt and yet have no repentance. They lash out when their sin is exposed. And it's because they have to lash out because they have no defense, right? And rather than facing the guilt, they will resort to these angry utterances and violence. And let's be honest, Stephen's words cut deep. For they revealed to these men the true blackness that was within their hearts. And yet before they could act, before they could lash out with their venom, something else happened. God intervened, right? He, He gave to Stephen a vision and one more thing to proclaim. Look at look at verses 55 and 56. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. The heavens have opened and Stephen was given a vision of God's glory. And he saw Jesus, his King this one whom he loves so dearly, standing at the right hand of the Father. Now before we move forward, let's consider what it is that Luke is describing here. 
I mean, the veil between our earthly realm and and the realm of God's dwelling had been been pulled back for this Stephen, right? God was giving him a glimpse into his glory. Now, very rarely does God allow this to happen. You think of some of the great men in Scripture. You think of Moses, who, who, who God hid in the cleft of the rock, as his glory passed over. You think of the visions that, that came to men like Isaiah and Ezekiel. God has now granted to Stephen a similar vision, a glimpse into his throne room. But why? Oh, why would God choose this man? Why would he give him this vision? And in particular, why at this time? Why now? Think about the circumstances that Stephen found himself in. I mean, he had just testified that Jesus is the Messiah, right? That that he is God's righteous one who had been rejected by these men. That he is the new temple, where the, the, the place where God's presence dwells. And Stephen had used the scriptures to make these points points abundantly clear. And yet all this did was to infuriate this council. They were out for blood. And it was from Stephen's veins where they would find it. And here stood Stephen all alone. All by himself. How discouraging would that be? How very disheartening. I believe that God gave to Stephen this vision because he wanted to remind Stephen that he was not alone. That Jesus was right there by his side. Oh, how this this vision must have strengthened this man. Yes, he was surrounded by his enemies, but, but Jesus was his advocate. And now he had seen him. He had seen his glory. Look at at Psalm 27, verses 1 through 5. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing I have asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. I wonder if a psalm like this was going through Stephen's mind when he saw that vision, that vision of his king. Did, Did he take courage knowing that the Lord was his salvation? I believe he did. For this will be proven out in just a few verses. 
And yet the vision that Stephen saw, it was simply a glimpse into the reality that is, that is hidden from our natural eyes, right? For Christ, Christ is always with those who are championing his name. Look at Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. Here, Jesus gives his great commission. It says this, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And then listen to the last line. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. I mean, that's just it. No, no matter who you are, no matter where you are at, if you are in Christ's will, then the heavens will be open for you. And you can take courage knowing that Christ is with you, even in the times of greatest distress. Christ was with Stephen. Stephen was championing his name, and Christ was right by his side. And yet this vision wasn't for Stephen's benefit only. For, for I also believe that God wanted to have a testimony from a first-hand witness of both the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus for this council. And now that Stephen had received this vision, he had become this witness. You, you see, beforehand, it, it had always been the, one of the apostles who were being judged by this court, right? And yet these men, the apostles, they, they, they were already first-hand witnesses of, to both the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus. But Stephen wasn't. Yes, he believed, and he, he believed vigorously, but, but he believed because of the, the testimony of the apostles. But now he was standing before this court before these leaders of Israel. And because he was on trial before them and proclaiming the name of Jesus, God was now showing Stephen his favor by granting him a peek behind the curtain, a peek into his heavenly throne room above. And Stephen now bore witness to this council that Jesus is risen from the dead and that he is now ruling at the right hand of God. And he listened to what he said to them. Behold, I, I, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of God. Who is this Son of Man? And why did Stephen use this terminology instead of just saying Jesus? Why say the Son of Man? Stephen's reasoning will become clear when we look at the, the Old Testament passage that gives us this title, the Son of Man. Look at, look at Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like a Son of Man. 
And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. And his kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. This was the title that Stephen was using to describe his Savior. He was clearly identifying Jesus in this lofted position. Jesus is the Son of Man. And the men on this Jewish council, they knew exactly what what, what Stephen meant. When he had used that title, when he had said, the Son of Man stands at the right hand of God. They knew exactly what he was talking about. That's because they had heard this title before, only from the lips of another. You see, you've got to remember that these were the very same men who had put Jesus on trial and had him crucified. Look at at Luke chapter 22, verses 66 through 71. When the day came, the the assembly of the elders of the people gathered together, both chief priests and scribes, and they led him away to their council, and they said, If you are the Christ, tell us. But he said to them, If I tell you, you will not believe. And if I ask you, you will not answer. But from now on, the Son of Man shall be seated at the right hand of the power of God. And so they all said, Are you the Son of God then? And he said to them, You say that I am. Then they said, What further testimony do we need? We have heard it ourselves from his own lips. You see, Jesus claimed to be the Son of Man, and they condemned him for it. For they knew exactly what he meant when he used those words. That that he is this one who rides on the clouds of heaven. That he is this one who goes before the ancient of days. That he is this one who has given dominion and glory and a kingdom. That he is this one who is served by all peoples, nations, and tongues. That he is this one whose kingdom will not be destroyed. And now Stephen is making this very same claim. Jesus is the Son of Man. But notice how how Stephen, in his vision, he, he doesn't describe him as sitting, but as standing. This this indicates that that Jesus is ready for action, right? Ready to go to battle ready to go to war, ready to rescue, ready to save. Stephen had been given a vision of this heavenly man, and now he was a faithful witness for his king. Dear friends, do you understand that as a Christian, your life is not about your own glory, but it is about God's glory. 
and that you are to proclaim the exalted Jesus to a lost world, to, to a world that, that, that frankly does not want to hear it. And that world, it, it may turn against you, and yet you are to proclaim nonetheless. And that is because the heavens have been opened for you. And because the heavens have been opened for you, you can be courageous in your witness of him. Because the heavens have been opened for you, you can be courageous in your witness for Jesus Christ. You see, Stephen, he understood this. And so he was faithful to his calling, even though he knew what it would ultimately lead to. What did it lead to? Look at, look at the reaction of this council. Look at verse 57. But they cried out with a loud voice and, and, and stopped their ears and, and rushed together at him. The, these opponents of Christ, they had this visceral reaction, did they not? To the vision that Stephen had been given? And Luke records for us three things that they did in that moment. One, they, they, they cried out in a loud voice. This, this barking indicates that they had indignation at the words that Stephen spoke. And instead of letting him continue on in his description of his vision, they, they were going to shout him down. Two, Luke tells us that they, they stopped their ears in other words, they, they, they physically covered their, their ears with their hands, right? And this tells us that, that they believed that Stephen was speaking blasphemy. And, and finally, three, they, they rushed together at him. In other words, they were ready to use force to shut him up. When, when, when you add this all together... What, what, what you get is a, is a group of men who are acting like children, right? R rather than being the, the, the dignified lawmakers and judges that they claimed to be, they, they looked foolish. For they were driven by their anger. They, they were driven by their rage. And they resorted to insolence and violence. Now, now, how would you feel if you were in Stephen's shoes? Here, here you had just testified to the name of Jesus. And it had resulted in this violent mob who were screaming at the top of their lungs and rushing at you. How would you feel at that moment? Would you be scared? Would you be flinching backwards? because of the chaotic rabble that was heading towards you? Would, you? would you try to fight back? You know, what is it? Fight, flight, or fight? That's our natural instincts. Would you be trusting in your own strength to, to rescue you? I mean, what would you do? Knowing that this violent end was heading your way. Indeed, a, a violent end would come Stephen's way. And yet it would not happen in that courtroom. Look, look, look at verse 58. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. 
And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. This is now the the third trial that Luke has recorded for us in the book of Acts um, that has come before the Sanhedrin. And if you remember the first trial, we we saw it ending with with a warning, right? As well as a ban on the name of Jesus. In the second trial, we witness not only a renewal of that ban, but, but also a beating of the apostles. The apostles were flogged. But now here in this third trial, we, we see it ending with a stoning. Death would come to this Stephen, to this one who was proclaiming the name of Jesus. And so what we see here is an escalation in judgment. But, but how is this judgment delivered? Luke, Luke tells us that, that Stephen was taken outside of the hall, right? He's taken out of the city, and he was stoned in broad daylight. And, and this adhered to what was prescribed in God's law for those who, who had committed blasphemy. Look at, look at Leviticus chapter 24, verses 13 through 16. Here here we see God's command for those who speak blasphemy. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Bring out of the camp the one who cursed, and let all who heard him lay their hands on his head, and let all the congregation stone him. And speak to the people of Israel, saying, Whoever curses his God shall bear his sin. Whoever blasphemes the name of the Lord shall surely be put to death. All the congregation shall stone him. The sojourner, as well as the native, when he blasphemes the name, shall be put to death. These men were, were, were so enraged, they were so angry when they had heard what Stephen said, that they had murder within their hearts. And yet they had enough wits about them to follow the procedure that, that God had prescribed. They even took the time to lay down their cloaks at the feet of this young man named Saul in order that they they would not stain their outer garments. And that's because they they knew that what they were about to do was going to be a bloody, bloody mess. Bottom line, this was a premeditated killing. So this wasn't just a a, a crime of passion, but it was a, a crime of a targeted hatred. And again, we must ask the question, what was it that made these men so angry? I'm sure there were a lot of things, but, but I think it was this vision that Stephen had been given, that Stephen had proclaimed to them, that pushed them over the edge. That, that Jesus, this Son of Man, was now standing at the right hand of God and was now ruling over them. Dear friends, know this. When you proclaim Jesus as the King of kings and and Lord of lords, that will cause a violent reaction in the enemies of Jesus. They, They will try to ruin you in whatever way they can. And that's because they will do whatever it takes just to get you to shut up to get you to stop saying the name of Jesus. 
And yet you must say it. You must say that name. For the sake of your king and for the sake of those lost souls. Look at, look at verses 59 and 60. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Now in the first century, when a man was stoned, what, what they would typically do is they would bring him to the edge of a cliff, roughly about two stories high, and they would push this man off the cliff. Once he had landed, a person would then go down there, turn him over onto his back in order to see if he was still alive. And if he had survived the fall, then, then two men would, would pick up a heavy boulder and drop it upon the man's chest. If the man was still living, then the whole community would use whatever stones they could find to finish the job. From, from Luke's description, it seems that as he was pushed, as he was falling down, Stephen cried out for Jesus to receive his spirit. And perhaps after he had landed and he had gotten back up on his knees, he had then prayed for the forgiveness of those who were committing this deed. And so we know that that the initial impact did not kill him, and thus a boulder would have been used to crush his chest. That means that the men who were committing this bloodshed, they would have heard every word of Stephen's prayer. Let's take a minute and, and talk about these prayers. Now, now, what does it mean for Jesus to receive Stephen's spirit? Well, this is none other than the hope for all who claim Jesus as their Savior, is it not? That, that death is not the end. But, but that our bodies, even though they cease to function, our souls will be securely kept in the presence of our King as we await his final return and the resurrection of the dead. You see, Stephen believed that, that this mortal life wasn't the end. That there were hope there was hope for those who trust in Jesus. And because, and because Christ was with him, he had seen that glorious vision. Because Stephen believed that, he courageously faced death, knowing that his spirit would be received by his king. And this is why Luke said what he said, right? Not that Stephen died, but that he fell asleep. What, what Luke is communicating is that, is that for the Christian, death is not final. Right? Just as our Lord rose from the dead, one day the Christian will also rise from the dead. And, our, and, and until that time, our spirits will, will go to be with our King. To be safely kept secure until that final day when he returns, when the dead will be raised and our spirits will, 
who have been set, kept secure in the arms of our Lord will then unite with our new glorified bodies. And so it is not death that will have the final say, but Jesus, our living King. This was the hope that Stephen had. Because the, the heavens had opened for him, he courageously faced death, knowing that his spirit would be received by Jesus and kept safely secure until the day of the resurrection. Oh, the comfort that Stephen must have felt having seen that glorious vision of his true king. He must have been filled with joy. And that's odd to think about, isn't it? Being filled with joy as you're dying. And yet he realized that Jesus was coming to his rescue. Coming to him in his greatest time of need. And yet such hope is only for those who are true believers. For those who have repented of their sins and have turned to Jesus in faith. And so with his dying breath, Stephen prayed one last time. And what did he pray for? He prayed for God's mercy, right? Not mercy for himself, but mercy for the very men who were stoning him. That God might forgive them. That God might show compassion toward them. And it was in this prayer that Stephen was most like his Savior. Look at Luke chapter 23, verse 34. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Just as Jesus prayed for the forgiveness of those who were putting him to death, so too did Stephen. But why? Why would a man pray for the ones who were killing him? Why would a man like, like George Wisher give a pardoning kiss to his executioner? Because there is a fate that is far worse than death. You see, Stephen already had the victory. He had seen Jesus. He, he had been given a glimpse into the kingdom and he was ready to sp spend eternity with his king. And yet these men who were casting these stones, they were so lost. They were damned. They were destined to spend eternity suffering under the wrath of God. And so instead of being angry at these men, Stephen pitied them. For unless they repented, they would suffer a far worse fate than what he was suffering. And thus Stephen went to his death, exuding the compassion of Christ. Dear friends, the, the way that Stephen died is the way that we should live our lives. Is it not? I mean, this, understand, this man understood that, that he was not alone in his trials, but that the heavens had been opened for him and that Christ was with him. And so he was fearless in his witness of his Savior. And he trusted that in death, Jesus would receive his spirit, keeping it safely secure until the day of the resurrection.
And this was the reason why he took pity on those who were battling against him. For he knew that without Jesus, they would be eternally lost. And so he prayed for them. And guess what? God would honor that prayer. Look at our last verse. Look at, look at the first part of Acts chapter 8. And Saul approved his, of his execution. Here we have this young man named Saul, right? This one who was watching over the coats. This one who approved Stephen's death. And we all know who he is. That he would be later, later be called Paul. The Apostle Paul, right? That Jesus would come to him. Despite him being a persecutor of the church. That this Saul, who would later be named Paul, would be shown mercy from God above. You see, the heavens would open up for this man as well. Jesus would reveal himself to Paul, granting him entrance into his kingdom. Stephen prayed for Paul. Think about that. And that's just it. Those who seem to be your enemies, they're really not your enemies. Your battle is not against them. Rather, it's against the ones who have enslaved them. Sin, death, the devil. And so you should show pity to them and compassion towards them rather than anger. You should pray for them. Pray for their forgiveness rather than their judgment. Because there, there once was a time when you were just like them, was there not? Lost and enslaved and under the wrath of God. And yet in God's mercy, he, he opened up the heavens for you. He, he rescued your soul and brought you the hope that is his victory. And when the day of your death finally arrives, you will see that same vision that Stephen saw. The Father will be on his throne, and to his right will be Jesus, the Son of Man. And this Son of Man, he will rise from his throne in order to welcome you in to his kingdom. It's a beautiful picture, is it not? Let me encourage you this day. Live your life the way Stephen died. With that reality in mind. That the heavens have been opened for you. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for who you are. That you are a God who has given to us a, a glimpse into your throne room that you have opened the heavens for us and have welcomed us in with open arms. And this is only because of what your Son has done for us, because he died for our sins, because he rose from the dead victorious, offering us life in his name. Lord, help us to believe in him. Help us to trust in him. And so we pray to you right now that you would Help us to be like your servant, Stephen. 
that we would be courageous in our witness of Jesus. That we would face death knowing that our spirit will be, will be received by your son. That we will be kept secure until the day of his return. And that we would show compassion. That we would show pity to those who are still lost. Who are still enslaved to their sins. May your saving hand rescue them as well. We pray this in Jesus' name.